You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at The Washington Post. On Tuesday, Donald Trump announced on his social media platform that he was informed by special counsel Jack Smith that he is a target in the federal investigation into the attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Yesterday, the grand jury met, which could mean that an indictment could be imminent, but there's only one way to really find out. Joining me now, Perry Stein, a reporter covering the Justice Department and the FBI for the Washington Post. Perry, welcome to Washington Post. Uh, <laughs> welcome to First Look. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So um, based on your reporting right now, uh, what's the likelihood that Donald Trump will get indicted for a third time and will that happen today? Um, I think he is, I think we can say just going by a target letter, that is usually an indication that a charge is imminent. That is why they typically send them. But it doesn't mean I want to, it doesn't mean it it's definite, but we know he received a target letter last time. And then in the coming days, I think it was about eight days, he got indicted in the Mar-a-Lago case. So trust me, I cover the Justice Department. So I wish I knew when it was coming. It would make my life easier. But I really, um, you know, we just don't know. Yeah, it could happen today. But I also think, you know, it could happen next week or the week. You know, we just don't know. Right. And just to, uh, for uh, even more clarity, if it doesn't happen today, it's not going to happen over the weekend. They don't drop indictments over the weekend. Um, you know, I would say it would be unlikely. Um, we don't know of the grand jury meeting over the weekend. I mean, it is possible and, you know, that they vote on it and they don't deliver the indictment for a few days. I mean, we just don't know. Like, you know, Trump could tweet truth social it at a, over the weekend. We don't know. Right. All right. So the target letter reportedly cites three statutes that were allegedly violated. What are they? Yeah. And I want to be clear, the Washington Post so far has not um, reported that. So I know I have seen that other reporting. We have reported that there are three statutes that, um, you know, are cited in there. So I don't know the specifics. And those are typically doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they're going to get charged with, but that that's what they're generally looking at. But what we do know and what we can say from what we know about the investigation is that it'll likely be about him um, interfering with a government proceeding, meaning him interfering with an election, which is against the law, or him allegedly, you know, violating perhaps the rights of others who do vote and expect, an, um, you know, their vote to go to a certain election result or for the those results to be honored. But I want to be clear, we do not know what he would be charged with. Right. And so then what's Trump's legal strategy to to fight these charges? Or and I, I, I take your point that The Washington Post has not uh, reported uh, what those charges might be. But what's the Trump legal strategy for fighting any potential charges? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so we know that in general, Trump has delayed, delayed. That has been in a uh, legal strategy of his for decades, well before he was president. And right now, I mean, he has a lot of cases going on. I was just sitting in Florida at a hearing for his Mar-a-Lago case in which they're trying to set a trial date. Trump's team wants it after the election. Prosecutors want it um, soon. They think they're ready to get going by the end of the year. And so Trump's lawyer got up and said, look, 
He's running for president. We have a ton of legal cases that we have to deal with. We owe it to our client to take the time to meet um, to meet with him and go through all the evidence, go through that discovery process and form a defense for him. And they said, you know, that's going to take a lot of time because not only is he running for president, but right now he's got three on two ongoing cases, perhaps a third. Um, um, in the classified documents case out of Florida, you've reported mm -hmm. that Judge Cannon and as you just said, you were there, it doesn't seem likely to accede to Trump's request to delay the trial until after the 2024 election. Exactly why is she skeptical? So she said she was, she batted down that argument pretty fast. She said her thing was, let's focus on discovery. So one of Trump's other arguments was, the government has handed us over a million pages of evidence and video footage. We need months to go through it. So she specifically said, looking at the number, the amount of time for discovery. Now that's a more proper um, framework that you know complies with the Federal Speedy Trial Act um, than to set a time than is an election. She also said, you know, Trump's team has made an argument that we can't get an impartial jury while an election is ongoing. Um, it, and their media attention is just so high that how can we do a fair election? Now, her question was, wait, why do you think that's going to dissipate after the election? election. Couldn't it just get worse? Or will attention to Trump ever be low? And Trump's team said, no, we think it'll abate after the election. So, um, you know, the government sure. obviously agrees and thinks the media attention for Trump is never going to change. And, you know, that's the whole, there's tons of busy, famous people that get indicted all the time and our system, you know, gets for a fair jury. Right. Um, let's talk about another big story. And that's the one out of Michigan, where the state attorney general uh, charged 16 Trump supporters with forgery related to the 2020 election. Uh, what are they alleged to have done? Yeah, so that's a state case. And that is just, you know, they are saying that they are alleged to have like improperly fraudulently said we are Trump electors when they when the state went to Biden. So that was a that was part of the whole efforts to um, swing to get Michigan when it had been called for Biden, this fake elector scheme to get, you know, get electors to to turn for Trump. And I mean, I think that's a great point that it is. There's just so many um, investigations right now. There's also Georgia. We didn't, you know, Michigan came, ended up, there was charges coming out of Michigan. And again, those weren't against Trump. But before Georgia, which we know is rolling full of steam ahead. And these are state elections. These are state charges. And what's interesting about that is there is fear that if Trump becomes president, he could push to or try to get these federal charges dismissed, right? Because he will pick the attorney general, but he doesn't have as much power when it comes to um, state charges. So these are important investigations to keep to keep an eye on. Okay, um, we are out of time, but I just wanna have you say one, one more time for the, for the folks who are watching and um, are you know trying to figure out what their weekend plans are Tell us again, as of right now, given your reporting, how likely is it that an indictment from Jack Smith's uh, January 6th investigation will come down today? 
Look, I want to have a weekend, so um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm really hesitant. I, it could happen, um, but I will say that there was eight days. I think it was eight days in between um, when they put the target letter out um, last time, and an indictment came. Um, I'm not saying that that's a. I know Trump's team had requested a meeting last time. We don't know of any such meet with Garland before that. I, I really don't know, but I want to have. You know, I think. It's harder when it comes on a Friday for for the for us. So right, um, right. But I think there's a good chance it comes not today. But I don't know. Okay, and no actually, reporting. That's right. One more quick question for you, which um, I have not been able to find. What is the yeah. grand jury's What is the grand jury's schedule? Do we know when they will next meet? That's a good question, and I I think you know we have reporters um, camping outside there. Um, all the time, not just ours, but not camping right. out. We have reporters assigned to that courthouse who see activity. I mean, we reported yesterday that the grand jury, um, you know, was in session. So we can t tell you they meet on Thursdays. Um, and so maybe they <laughs> took a vote yesterday, um, but I don't know. Um, so, but yes, so they keep pretty hush-hush. I think sometimes we have a sense just from being there, but... Um, so, so the lesson I'm taking from that is the grand jury is not like, say, the president of the United States who puts out his schedule oh, on a daily basis. No. Like The only way we know they, they're meeting is by you and other reporters uh, from the press camping out, literally camping yeah. out and watching yes. the comings and goings. All right. I wish they published it. And don't forget, last time the indictment came out of Florida while we were outside the D.C. courthouse. So... That is a very good, that is a very good reminder. Perry Stein covering the Justice Department and the FBI for the Washington Post. Thank you for coming to First thanks. Look. Have a good weekend. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, we're gonna keep the conversation going with our opinions roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post where we will find Washington Post Associate Editor Ruth Marcus and Washington Post columnist Hugh Hewitt. Ruth, Hugh, welcome back to First Look. Good morning. Okay, um, you're both lawyers. Um, as Perry said, the Washington Post has not um, reported what the potential statutes that were cited in the target letter are, um, but other outlets have, and I know you both have seen them. Uh, so I would just love each of you to give your thoughts. Hugh, I want you to go first. Um, your thoughts on the potential statutes cited in the, the, the target letter that was sent to Trump on Tuesday. Well, I'm going to wait until I see the indictment. One of those statutes is a very old statute that would represent a very significant and extraordinary reach by Jack Smith. Two of them are rather ordinary. And if the indictment comes down, I'll read the indictment. I think Ruth will be as cautious as I am because she covered the DOJ when I was at the DOJ. And I think we just have no idea if there's going to be an indictment. Uh, it looks likely, but we don't know. And we certainly don't know what it's going to allege. All right, can, Hugh, real quickly, you said one of the potential statutes is a reach. Which which one do you think is a reach, if indeed it is in that target letter? The federal civil rights conspiracy statute that dates back to the 19th century, which has been used on, I think, two occasions. It was upheld on both occasions that it was used. But it will strike me and it will strike others as uh, a bit of uh, overkill 
if they've got the former president on something that's solid, going back to a statute that is little used and very unusual to use it against a former president for the first time, I think that will raise a lot of eyebrows that are already pretty arched. Okay, Ruth, are you similarly as cautious as Hugh overall? And do you share uh, his perspective on that potential maybe um, charge that's in the target letter? So I, I'm with Hugh and my eyebrows aren't nearly as arched as, as his are on the wait and see aspect of it. And I would like to say as a former Justice Department reporter, uh, my heart is with Perry and the colleagues who cannot know and um, honestly should not know, um, though I wish them all the luck in finding out when an indictment is coming down. Um, I think an indictment is almost certain. I think that uh, if we learned a lesson from watching the Mar-a-Lago indictment, it was not to um, discount the facts that the prosecutor has in hand and is, is able to allege um, before we see them. If you think about that case, there was a lot of poo-pooing at the start when the um, search was first conducted at Mar-a-Lago. Why are we turning this into a federal case? Isn't this just a small dispute about classified information or secret information that could have easily been returned if they had just asked nicely? The facts in that case, as alleged, I thought were devastating to the president. I am going to wait and see both on the facts, which we know a lot about, I think, in the uh, January 6th case, but not the entirety of them, and on the law, which will be very interesting to see on each of these um, potential avenues of prosecution, how the Justice Department is going to uh, plead the case, um, to set out its case. I think that we're all textualists now. I was looking at these statutes last night. They all appear to cover on their face the kind of conduct that the president is alleged to have engaged in in trying to prevent Congress from certifying the election. And um, so I will be very interested in seeing how those are brought to bear. But I think what we've seen from Jack Smith so far is careful lawyering, not over aggressive lawyering, but um, not lawyering that shies away from bringing charges when he thinks they're warranted. Mm -hmm. um, it'll surprise neither of you that um, uh, the former president is not taking any of this uh, lightly and he's real mad about it. Here's um, Trump on Fox this week lashing out at the Justice Department with a litany of name calling. Listen. We're going into an almost a communistic state, and I think maybe we're even there. When you look at what they're doing with, you could call it fascist, you could call it Marxist, you could call it communist, what they're doing, like with the Department of Justice, they've totally weaponized it. It's weaponized like we've never had this before. Um, Hugh, the former president already has two indictments uh, against him, um, maybe more coming down, coming down the pike um, from the special counsel. Does this kind of talk help him in the court of law? I understand I, it, it, it might help him in the court of public opinion, particularly with Republican primary voters, but does it help him in the court of law? I don't think so, but I don't know. I, I will tell you I'm more interested in what for example, Governor DeSantis is his primary competitor for the nomination. 
on my program on Thursday, Governor DeSantis uh, expressed great discontent with the Department of Justice apparent two standards of law, one for Joe Biden, one for Donald Trump, one for the people around uh, Donald Trump and one for the people around Joe Biden. How the IRS whistleblowers this week get no coverage and speculation about the indictment gets a massive amount of coverage. How the Steele dossier was front page for two and a half years and we can't get the Chuck Grassley confidential human source letter into the headlines. What I see Republicans generally talking about is not what the former president said on Fox, but what they perceive as being two, two tiers of justice, one for Democrats in power in D.C. and one for Republicans, especially those associated with Donald Trump. That's a problem for the rule of law. And uh, uh, Director Ray has not done a lot to quiet those concerns. Ruth, to, okay, to, jumping to, in here, Jonathan. Yes, please take take it away, Ruth. So uh, the problem for the rule of law would be if uh, prosecutors were intimidated by the former president throwing around word, meaningless words like communistic, fascistic. Um, weaponization and everything else. Uh, if he doesn't want to be indicted in so many places, he should probably stop criming. And uh, the rule of law is unfolding and manifesting itself in the most important, careful, deliberative possible way um, with the special counsel's uh, investigation and indictment and um, almost certainly forthcoming indictment of the former president. Um, as to the um, alleged two-tier, um, dual-track, uh, unequal treatment nature, uh, we had a U.S. attorney in Delaware who was allowed free reign to bring, to investigate as much as he wanted. He took a very long time um, to look into Hunter Biden. He uh, came up with charges that were agreed on, that were uh, deemed appropriate. And where is the double standard? Not all bad acts are the same bad acts or deserve the same charges, um, but they all deserve to be investigated under the rule of law. That is what we have seen, this um, kind of uh, just bizarre notion that Merrick Garland, of all people, has weaponized the Justice Department um, is about as wrong as it could be. And I have seen no evidence of that. I want to pick up. I mean, I take your point. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Hugh, about the uh, two systems of justice, two tiers um, uh, of justice: one for Biden and 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 one for Trump. But Ruth, um, I mean, I'm kind of inclined to agree with Hugh that there are two two systems of justice because if and correct me if I'm wrong because you're an attorney, Ruth. I'm I'm not. If Donald Trump weren't the former president of the United States. Wouldn't he be in jail by now? Isn't oh, he, you're isn't he being treated differently? No, I don't think so. He wouldn't. He, uh, uh, here's where I'm going to, you're going to throw me back siding with you, Jonathan. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so people deserve the presumption of innocence um, up to and through their trial until they are judged guilty. We have too many people who are, preventively detained or detained while they're awaiting charges, we should have fewer of those. Donald Trump is not a flight risk. He is, he could be potentially a national security risk because he's got a lot of classified information in his head, but I see no reason that uh, he, if he, if he were, were not a former president, if he were a former government official in a less 
serious role or uh, a corporate executive accused of some kind of analogous crime, I don't think he would be um, detained awaiting trial, and I don't think he should be. I think there's a very interesting and complicated question about if he are is ultimately convicted on any of these charges, which are serious charges, how we deal with the question of punishing someone who is a former president is entitled to Secret Service protection. Um, but that is a long, long way down the road. I, I don't know. I just seem to remember the case of reality winner who um, photocopied a top secret as a, a classified document sent to a reporter and she got arrested. She's in jail. But I want to play some uh, another piece of sound. This went out over um, Donald Trump's social media platform. This was a it went out on his platform and then he retruthed it, I think is what it's called on uh, on Truth Social. But watch and listen to this and we'll talk about it on the other side. Never been done before. Okay, so the the word that was bleeped out was the F word, and we 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 can't say that. But between the message and and, and the ominous music, um, coming at a time when you know we're all waiting to see if indeed he is indicted again by the special counsel this time in the January sixth investigation out of out of Washington. Do, how does that help his case um, against what the special counsel is most likely going to allege uh, um, alleged he did, Ruth? He's got uh, two courts. He's got a, well, actually he's got more than two courts because there are many actual courts um, right. that he's going to be called to answer for his behavior in. Um, he's, but judges, are going to not take particularly kindly to this kind of threatening commentary, but I think they're also going to give him, and they should, uh, some leeway. He is a candidate for president. He has First Amendment rights. We don't want to squelch that too much. We are grown up enough to kind of suck it up and accept that, that Trump's going to Trump and he's going to um, just spout off. I think where, uh, so Trump doesn't help himself in the um, actual court of law, but he doesn't help hurt himself. But, but Trump is obviously playing an outside the court of law game. He's playing a court of public opinion game, and he is trying to rile up his base and rile up people and say that the terrible injustice is being perpetrated on him. And he is going to um, take that literally to the bank because it's fundraising for him. It's um, political calculations for him. And that, I guess, is his um, right as a candidate and as a citizen with First Amendment rights. I, I, I take um, everything he does seriously and literally, especially given what happened during in 2016. Q, I want to switch gears in the less than five minutes that we have left. Um, you had a blistering column this week about Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama and his hold on more than 250 uh, uh, promotions out of the Department of Defense over the Pentagon's policy Pentagon's abortion policy. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Hugh. You're not pro-choice. So oh, I'm very polite. 
I support the Florida statute six weeks with a 15-week right. exception for rape and incest. So, what so the we, senator from Alabama is doing is okay. screwing around with our readiness to combat everyone who ought to be uh, combated. And I'm, I mean by this that our readiness depends upon the very best people being in the most important jobs. And they bring along with them, by the way, staffs and families and all this. It's the most irresponsible thing I've seen done by a single senator in living memory when it comes to the military. And I've seen a lot of bad things done, like underfunded. And it doesn't mean that they'd all be great choices. I just can't believe this is happening. I know there is division within the Senate caucus among Republicans, but they're not saying anything publicly. And Senator Tuberville has to stop this. It's bad for the military. It's bad for America. And meanwhile, Ruth, um, I would love your thoughts on, uh, on Tuberville, but also your thoughts on holds placed on ambassadorships by Senators Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, uh, and J.D. Vance. How damaging is this one-two punch to U.S. national security? I totally agree with Hugh about the senator. It's bad for governing. It's bad for national security. I disagree with Hugh uh, on the fundamental policy, which is, I think, women who serve their country uh, and are deployed to states that don't permit abortion rights should not be held hostage by the rules of those states and should be given help and flexibility in order to uh, exercise rights that would be theirs in other states and that were theirs before Hughes Supreme Court interfered with it. The misuse and holding up and delay of all sorts of positions, ambassadorships, confirming people to um, other positions in the executive branch, the uh, Senator Tuberville of shenanigans with the generals is just illustrative of, and I'm gonna use a word that I've said really should be banned, but it's the weaponization of confirmations as a, a mechanism to extract um, benefits and desired outcomes in setting federal policy. And it's terrible. So many people's lives are completely hijacked and upended by, a, by too many people who are uh, subject too many positions subject to Senate confirmation and delays that are way too long. Um, Hugh, any reaction from uh, Senator Tuberville or his staff to your call? Uh, he declined to come on my radio show. I'll tell you that. And that's because it's indefensible. I do want to add something to what Ruth said. Uh, I've been the victim of this nonsense. I was nominated in 87. I was eventually confirmed in 88 to be the number two over at OPM. And Robert Byrd put a hold on me. It had nothing to do with me. There were 100 of us on hold. But you know what? We were political appointees, and that's what you sign up for. Military people at that level who are being promoted to admiral or general or who are moving up to a two-star, three-star, four-star job did not sign up for this. Political people sign up for this. And I got no problem with holds and blue slips. A lot of it's nonsense. But military people did not sign up for this. And you do not get the same level of confidence with an acting, say, head of central command or the acting head of a, a carrier strike group as you do with the real deal. And I think the coach, I'm going to call him that because it's, it's really unfair to all coaches. He's got to get out of that mode of drawing attention and focus on the damage he's doing. Real quick, Hugh, then what's it, what's the off ramp? Because at this point, um, he needs a face saving, a, a face saving move. So what could that possibly be? Well, you're, you're right about that. He shouldn't. The face saving move should be I woke up. I'm sorry I was wrong. But the House Republicans attached the repeal of the Secretary Austin policy to the NDAA, which will come to the Senate. So there will be a vote in conference, if not before, 
So he should declare victory and go home. I mean, go home yesterday. All right. Hugh Hewitt, Ruth Marcus, as always, thank you both very much for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with First Look, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.